He always wanted to be good. He always liked talking to God. It calmed him. He didn't care what anyone else thought. As long as he was connected to his source of being, he could survive just about anything. But on this day, he wasn't sure of that last thought. Build a big boat. What did he know about boats? He was a farmer. He was good with his hands in the dirt. Sometimes it takes a little longer to see where God is heading, he thought. Sometimes there is a cost to believing. And just when his faith had stretched about as far as it could go, there came an unusual cold wind up from the east. The air smells different today, he thought. Well, that's when it happened. On a day like that, it's good to have a big boat. And so we began with the story of Noah eight weeks ago. I called that story View from the Seesaw, all the ups and downs of life that we live as we're looking for more, as we want more out of life. I said, you have stuff going on all the time. What's really going on? What answers do you need? How do you need God to show up? It all starts with more. But what does more mean? I talked to you that Sunday about the five lifestyle attributes that really matter to Americans, as delineated by Frank Luntz in his book, What Americans Really Want. He said Americans really want more money. They want fewer hassles. They want more time. They want more choices, as if we don't have enough choices. And they want no worries. No worries on what planet does that work. Here's the bad news. More doesn't work. More is DOA. Why? Because if it doesn't begin with the right premise, if you begin with what you think will make you feel better in this world, you start at the wrong starting point. Here's the good news. More works. More is what God wants for you. Why? Because God wants you to have more of him, more of what he wants you to have for the purposes of what he is doing with you and through you, more of what is going to last forever. In Hebrews eleven six 6 is one of my favorite verses. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's more earnestly seeking him. The world in which Noah lived wasn't much different than the world we're living in. And so we, we learned in Noah's three lessons about more on that Sunday. More is grounded in obedience. You've got to live what you say you believe. That's what Noah did. It's his living epitaph. You've got to sustain more in your life by marketing the truth which means Christianity and following Jesus Christ is about living the truth, living out of the truth, embracing it, living out of it, and living it as a way of communicating to other people that this is what is more for you. And when you have a significant experience with God, you want to, to live out of that experience with God. When, 
when God is leading you and doing something in and through your life, it's natural that you show that with your life, that you communicate that with your life. Uh, the other day, actually Thanksgiving Day, we drove to Northern Virginia, not just for Turkey and the, the Norman Rockwell Turkey experience, which we had, but also for my sister-in-law's retirement party, which we were going to have the next day. Now, they said we're going out to eat, which always makes me happy to know that a day ahead of time. We're going out to eat, and it's a really nice place. I had never been there before, and I didn't know if it was great or not great. I knew it wasn't Italian, so I was a little worried at that point. Uh, but it was French. I thought I might be able to do French for a day. So we got there. It was arguably the most amazing dinner at a French restaurant I've ever had in my life. Definitely in, in the top three of French meals I've ever had in my life. I was, I was kissing the waiter every time he came. I was so impressed with the food and the way they did it. And it was at this place called Chez Francois on 332 Springvale Road. You should be writing this down. In, in Great Falls, Virginia. It's 200 miles away, but every night since Friday night, I have dreamed of going back. <laughs> and I will go back. I will make sure somehow, some way, I get back there. Why? Because it was an amazing experience. And everybody that I've met since then, I've sort of worked it into the conversation. You know, hey, do you think the Giants are going to make the playoffs? Well, how do you like French food? Uh, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about uh, Chateaubriand, which is what I had, which was like, whoa. It was amazing. But we talk about the things in our lives that are amazing, and we try to live out the experience of amazement that we have, and more is sustained by you living out of that experience that you are having with God. You know, we just came back from an experience in Denmark where I had a serving team with me of seven people, and we lived out of God's love and grace for a week together, and there's something about doing that that stays with you for the rest of your life, the relationships that happen, how God shows up and does things that you don't expect that he's going to do in you and through you. You get to live out of the truth. That's what Noah did. He was grounded in obedience. He lived out of the truth. More is embraced by working for a transcendent cause that is worthy of all you can give. It's transcendent. It's above and beyond everything that we know here. What is the highest purpose you can live for? God calls you to evaluate and engage your immediate and long-term investment of time and resources in what he is doing. And that's what Noah did for 100 years. I call that message view from the seesaw because life is going up and down all the time. It's like a seesaw, up today, down tomorrow, up Wednesday, down Friday. Take a look around. You know it's like that. And in the seesaw ride, as it inexorably goes on, God says to us, you can live like that. You can just live up, down, up, down. Or you can just get off the seesaw. You can live for more. I'm the more. Together, we will do more than you can ever dream of. The second message was called Pit of Power. And it was about Joseph's life, and I started with these questions. What do you do when life turns against you? What do you do when the ones who are supposed to love you turn away? 
What do you do when lies become the truth and you end up in prison? A prison of bars or a prison of relational dysfunction can look and feel the same. What do you do when you have the chance to hurt those who hurt you? How do you use the power God has put in your hands? We talked about your five pit of power principles from Joseph's life. Joseph rolled with life's ups and downs. He, he would say, okay, I'm in prison. How do I deal with that? Okay, I'm getting sold into slavery. How am I dealing with that? Okay, now I'm in the most powerful position in the entire realm. How am I going to, to deal with that? He rolled with life's ups and downs. Joseph always had a plan. He always knew what he was doing. He knew where things were going, and he prepared for the future. Joseph worked with the culture he lived in. He lived in Egypt. It was different there. It was different from the way he thought and the way he grew up, but he worked in that system to try to improve it and make it better, and he leveraged relationships within that system. He didn't say, you've got to make me happy. He figured out ways to work the system to his own advantage. Joseph knew God was in charge of everything. And Joseph lived a life of love and forgiveness, especially with his family when they showed up and he could have brought them low. He, he played with them a little bit, but then he showed a heart of great love and forgiveness. And I said, is there someone in your family you need to get right with? What do you need to put in God's hands this week, I asked you that Sunday. It's a question I could almost ask you every Sunday. What do you need to put in God's hands right now? Each of us has something. If you could identify that and do that today, you can change your world. Week three, what's in a name? We talked about the life of Jacob, Jacob to Israel, we called it. Dr. Les Parrott, I told you, has three markers for real life, having a sense of meaning and purpose in your life, a capacity for personal responsibility. You don't make excuses. You don't pass everything off as somebody else's fault, capacity for personal responsibility, and a willingness to live in the present. And I took that third point, a willingness to live in the present, and I tweaked it a little bit. I said, a willingness to live in the present while looking to the future God is creating with you. We looked at Jacob's life, and the most important thing that stands out to me weeks later is he went from living an if-God life to a save-me God life. He went from if-God, if God does this for me, then I will do that for him, or then I will trust him. If-God, which is a very immature way to live your life, but all of us have to pass through that valley of immaturity to get out onto the wide open plains of full devotion to God. But by the end of the story, he is a God, my whole life is in your hands now, kind of a guy. Save me, I can't do this without you. I know without you, I'm sunk, I'm going down. It doesn't work. Every one of us has to move from if God, and then I will, to God, you have my whole life and I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll show up when you need me to show up. We talked about the three mind shifts that we learned from Jacob's wrestling with God. Mind shift number one 
was the defining moment of your life will be when you finally wrestle with God for your future, when you go hand to hand, toe to toe, when you say, God, I know you have a future for me. It might be different than I think it is. I know you've got something for me. I want that. I want you and I want that. And I'm willing to wrestle you for it. I'm willing to wrestle with you in prayer. I'm willing to wrestle with you over months of not knowing. I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to be patient. I just am going to agonize until you give me the future. The defining moment of your life will be when you finally wrestle with God for your future. Shift number two. You have to ask God to bless you. God wants you to ask him for his blessing. The blessing of God is changing your future, that future that you were wrestling him for. Now he wants to give it to you, but it's going to be on his terms. To change your future means you have to be willing to change your character. Maybe some of those things that you hold on to from the past, maybe some of those things that you believe in that really aren't based on truth or grounded in God's word or in faith. Shift number three is you have to be willing to know God more deeply because of your weakness. A lot of us run away when it comes to this one. It's your weakness that is the key to knowing God deeply. We want to we hide our weakness. We want to deny our weakness. We don't want anybody to know what our weakness is. And yet, it's where we have the, the most potential to know God deeply. Because that's where he can show up and, and anchor our lives and encourage us and move us down the road in a way that only he can accomplish Look at Moses, look at Esther, look at Mary, look at Paul. They had to meet God in a moment when they didn't know what was going to happen, and yet God took their whole future and he shaped it by his holy hands. Most of the time that will happen when you're honest about your humility, you're honest about your weakness, you're honest about you don't know what's going to happen. And I have those times often. A willingness to live in the present while looking to the future God is creating with you. That's always more. Week five, we talked about Isaiah. Here I am, send me. And I taught you about your spiritual IQ. That Sunday I told you that social scientists say that crystallized intelligence equals hard knowledge and knowing how to do stuff. That's crystallized intelligence. But what's more important than just flat-out crystallized intelligence is fluid intelligence, which is figuring out what life demands when life demands it. To be able to, to read the situation, to see what's happening between the lines, to know what you really should do against what you think you might should possibly do. In Isaiah chapter 1, I read you this passage from the message which kind of brings it right down to where we are. When you come before me, God said, whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running here and there, doing this and that, all this sheer commotion in the place provided for worship. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, religion, religion. While you go right on sinning, when you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I'll not be listening. And what God is saying is this isn't 
play acting. This isn't something you just put on a suit of clothing about. You don't live out, out of a veneer of Christianity, a veneer of faith. He wants to go deep all the time. And so we looked at this passage in Isaiah where God's looking for somebody, and Isaiah goes, here I am. You're looking for somebody. Here I am. I'll go. Send me. Your spiritual IQ is this, the faith to hear God say, who will go? The courage to see what God is doing and to follow it. The commitment to a long-term growth process. My long-term growth process is coming up to 43 years and there's no end in sight. The passion to change a culture from the inside out, to really want to work within the culture to change it from the inside out, to stop being a spectator and say, oh, the culture's looking really bad. It's, getting, it's going down. It's getting worse. The passion to change a culture from the inside out, that's what we get to do. The constant deep searching of your heart, looking at your life on the inside, saying, is there anything that's going to bring me down? Is there any place where I'm taking a risk that I'll, I'll miss doing what God wants me to do? Is there anything between me and God that I just need to, to talk to him about? The relentless stewardship of your gifts. God gave you everything you have. It's a relentless stewardship of everything he gave you. And the celebratory ownership of a team effort. We get to do this together. We are engaged in something together. It's what Jesus calls the church. I will build my church. In other words, I'm going to build you, and we're going to get things done. We're going to change the world. I read you a quote from Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish theologian. It is a dangerous business to arrive in eternity with possibilities, which one himself has prevented from becoming actualities. Possibility is a hint from God. A person must follow it. If God does not want it, then let him hinder it. The person must not hinder it himself. Written in 1848. That's everything right there when it comes to faith and life together. Don't get in the way of what God wants to do in your life. Grab it. Run with it. Live it out. You can have more. I told you my story of my personal trainer, Genghis Khan, and how I was sweating and sweating, and he said, uh, that means I'm doing my job. And, and I said, you know, your job is to say, here I am, send me. That's your job. God, here I am, send me. My job is to make you sweat. My job is to make sure you do what God is asking you to do, which is what he's asking us to do, which is why this is always a together thing and a team effort. How will the future be different because you're in it? How will the church be different because you used your gifts? How will you be different because your spiritual IQ is expanding each year? Week six, we talked about lean in. Women in leadership, lean in. And I have to tell you, I still haven't figured out what does throw some Friday night into Tuesday mean? Like, what 
I still, please help me. Please, somebody after church, come up and explain that to me. I still can't figure it out. Throw some Friday night into Tuesday. But I said, this is what I know about what the Bible wants us to know about women and leadership. Women have been given the gift of leadership. And I made that very clear in the teaching on that Sunday. And you can go online and listen to that and get all the details. Women have been given the gift of leadership. Women who lead bring a unique perspective because they are women, just as men bring a unique perspective because they are men. Women have a responsibility to develop and invest their leadership gifts in people and organizations. Women must speak their leadership wisdom and intuition into family, church, and society as God leads them to be influencers, lest we all live with giant pieces of life missing from our souls. And women are called to define moments of faith and to be defined by moments of faith. Week seven, last week was fame. And we looked at the prayer of a prophet named Habakkuk. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And then he summed up his whole struggle and his whole life came down to these verses in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Though it all falls apart all around me, though the economy falls apart and, and things are going the wrong way and I can't figure the left from the right or up from down, I'm still going to build my life on God because he's the one that takes me to places where I can see farther than any place I could ever see on this planet. It's a great lesson from Habakkuk about what more really means. I said, you can, you can argue with God. Why can't I have what I want? Why don't you leave me alone? Why did you take that from me? Why don't you answer my prayers my way? Why do I have to feel so much pain? Why do I have to wait? Why did you put me in that family? Why did you let me fail when I tried so hard? Why did you let that person hurt me? Why do I have to believe in you? I said, or you can live a faithful life. And I told you what a faithful life looks like. A faithful life strives for a laser focus on what God is trying to do and does that. A faithful life is a life lived in concert with others on the faith journey. You process the struggles of life in a gathering of faithful people who are also processing the struggles, the struggles of life with you. A faithful life is a life that trusts God even when things aren't working out. That's how you know you're faithful. Trusting God when things aren't working out. That's how you know you're faithful. A faithful life knows this life wears out, but the next life doesn't. Why tonight on CNN is there a special about heaven? Why 
are they going to take an hour, at least an hour, maybe it's longer than an hour. I'm definitely having it DVR'd. I'm going to watch it and, and see what's in there that people are struggling with. Why, why heaven tonight? Why are they saying, maybe it's there? Is it there? Could it be there? I went there. I saw it. I came back. Why is that so important? Because it changes everything. When there's a heaven, we have to admit there's more. And then the only question is, how do we get connected to that? How do we, how do we get there? A faithful life knows this life wears out, but the next life doesn't. And we're going into a season that tells a story of how God reached into our reality and said, I'm going to come here. I'm going to be here with you. And I'm going to tell you about another place, but we're going to do this here. We're going to get faith and life connected here so that it's connected forever. Because if it's connected here, it's connected there too. And so here we are, the final Sunday of more to this life. And I came across Psalm 40. And I thought, this is really an interesting psalm. And it's so interesting that Bono of U2 came across it also. And, and he said, we need to write a song. We need to write a song about, it's got to be a, on a song. And so he used Psalm 40 as the basis for the song 40, which Letha sang just a few moments ago. Let's read it together. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Those are great, great biblical principles. When you call out of an honest heart to God, God hears you and he turns to you. It's almost as if God's looking over there or God's facing that way and he hears you. He hears your honest heart, what you really feel and how you're really hurting and what you really need and he turns and he looks right at you. He, he knows exactly what you need. He lifted me out of the slimy pit and out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Hundreds of years later, Jesus Christ would tell a story about a house built on sand and a house built on a rock. It's the same idea. There's only one way to have more. More comes from being honest with God, with who you are and where you are and what you need. And God says, I will set your life on a rock. You will have a real life now because you have called out to me and I know you and you know who I am. He put a new song in my mouth. I will sing, I will sing a new song, Bono wrote. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Why? Because my life was going nowhere and now people see that my life is going somewhere. My life is stable. It's secure. It's different. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. 
None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. There's an echo there of Habakkuk in his prayer. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Now, there's something there. Uh, the, the literal Hebrew, in some translations it says, my ears you have pierced. Here it says open. But the literal Hebrew means to dig deep into, to, to dig out. And so what, what the psalmist is, is writing is, is, God, you have gotten a deep place in my heart. I have really heard you. I've, I've slowed down enough to really hear you. Where in our lives do we slow down so that we can really hear him? So that we're in this, in the next 30 days, when there's so much potential for life transformation, where will we slow down and hear the voice of God speaking into our lives as things get busier and busier and busier? And in a system where it was all about sacrifice and offerings, the psalmist says, no. It's really not about that, and I know it. You've opened my ears. It's all about me hearing you and living out of the truth, living out of grace and faith and hope and joy. Burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did, you did not require. Then I said, here I am. Sort of an echo of Isaiah. Here I am. I have Come, it is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. The, the true test of relationship is when you kind of know how somebody's thinking and, and you're working together. Your, your hearts are in concert. When one moves right, the other moves with them. When one has a sadness, the other feels a sadness. Your law is within my heart, God. We are, are knit together at the heart level. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. Down in verse 15, it says, May those who say to me, Aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. There, there will always be people who criticize you. There will always be people who don't understand you. There will always be people who make fun of you. And you have nothing to worry about. Because when your life is built on more, that's all that really matters. And verse 17 puts it so beautifully. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. It's so childlike. It's so simplistic. May the Lord think of me. Oh God, may you, when you're not thinking of anything, would you just, just think of me? Because I love you. Nehemiah put it this way. Remember me. Oh God, just could you think of me just a little bit while I'm down here? trying to live out this faith and life thing. The message puts some of the words of Psalm 40 this way. Blessed are you who give yourselves over to God. Turn your backs on the world's sure thing. Ignore what the world worships. The world's a huge stockpile of God wonders and God thoughts. 
nothing and no one comes close to you. I start talking about you, telling what I know, and quickly run out of words. Neither numbers nor words account for you doing something for you, bringing something to you. That's not what you're after, being religious, acting pious. That's not what you're asking for. You've opened my ears so I can listen. More is listening and more is living out of those whispers of God to your hearts. The other day, day after Thanksgiving, I don't know why I did this, maybe because I wasn't thinking or I was crazy. I went out to the Galleria Mall at Tyson's Corner on, on Black Friday. And, and, and uh, I, I dropped Gail off because she wanted to check out something at the American Girl store for our grandchildren. Um, and, and I said, I'll go, I'll go park the car, which is a true test of faith. So, I, I, I mean, there were, you're talking thousands of cars, tens of thousands of people. And so I'm driving, and, and they've got all kinds of people directing traffic everywhere. It's Black Friday, and the people are there for all the sales and all the things that are happening. And I said to this guy, one of the parking tenants, I said, do you think I could go in there and get a parking spot? And he looked at me like I was crazy. He said, it's slim pickings in there. Slim pickings in there. I thought, okay, it's a test of faith. So I pulled in. As soon as I pulled in, about... 20 yards out in front of me, a woman was backing out of a parking space. I pulled my car in right first row next to the door where you go into Macy's. The righteous shall live by faith. <laughs> it's like a, a great proof of my spirituality. It's like, whoa, it happened right there. It's like a, it's like a parking lot miracle. You know, and then I went in, and people are going everywhere. It, it was the, the most not fun experience I've had in a long time. I felt sorry for this one man. He, he got caught in between people going this way and people going that way, and he couldn't move, and he couldn't get into a store. He just sort of froze there in some kind of a catatonic state, just with a real weird look on his face. And as I, just, as I went by him, I wanted to reach out and help him, but I couldn't. He was just lost. He wanted more. He was getting less. You know, we all want more. We want so much. We want to, we want to be... University of, of Auburn, Auburn University, we want to see a miracle, a miracle of football pulled out in a way that could never have been predicted in a million years. We want more. But the only way you get more in this life is to remember one thing. And I give you this in closing the series. I read you a letter that I wrote 40 years ago last week to a school newspaper, but I left out this one sentence. Here it is. Serious thinking is necessary each day to stimulate growth in our relationship to Christ. Serious thinking is necessary each day to stimulate growth in our relationship to Christ. It's the only way you'll ever have more unless you take it seriously, unless you embrace it and you live it out. Each and every day is such a huge challenge. There are all kinds of things happening. Things are falling apart. Stress is happening. Phone calls that you didn't know you were going to get. Places you had to go that you didn't know you were going to have to go. Things are happening all the time. And in the middle of that, you have to seriously say, I want more. God, I want more of you. I have heard of your fame. Here I am. Send me. I want my life to be built on something that lasts 
forever. And when you do that, and you live like Isaiah lived, you live like, like Noah lived, you live like Joseph lived, you live like Jacob lived, you live like, like Deborah lived, when you do that, you will always, always, always have more. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, so, so often we want more and, and we don't even know what it means. So often we ask for more and, and we don't even know what it requires. Father, help us to know that, that more begins as we seriously think about who you are what you're doing in our lives. Help us to know that you want us to have more, more of you, more passion, more compassion, more adventure, more faith in life. Father, help us to earnestly seek you. God, when you have a minute and you're not doing anything else, would you look at me? Would you look at us? and know that we love you and we want more with you and for you. Father, now take us into this season of so much more. As we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior.